Well, before we continue to consider this passage together, I invite you please to join with me again in prayer. Lord, your word um, is powerful. Your word is true. Your word is good. And your word gives life. And so we ask that you would help us um, with open ears and open minds and open hearts um, to hear whatever it is that you are saying to us in such a way that we are transformed, that we increasingly are the people that you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, our family uh, has gotten into the show The Mandalorian. I don't know if any of you have seen this. I mean, my my nerd credentials have been long since exposed, so I won't hide that. But it's it's in the Star Wars universe. And Mandalorian tells the story of kind of this solitary figure who's a mercenary who belongs to this group, The Mandalorians, a group that's not really primarily about where they were born, planet, or race, or even what they do. It's a group that has to do with a code that they all follow. Uh, Mandalorians are loyal to protecting each other. They, they make sure they fulfill their contracts, and, and they always, always, when anyone else is around, are wearing their helmets. And whenever they're asked why they're doing these strange things, there is a simple response that you hear repeatedly. This is the way. We care for our younglings because this is the way. We wear our helmet because this is the way. There is the sense that, yes, my own personal preferences, my own personal style ultimately do not matter because I belong to a people that have a code, and this is our way. And I want to say, I actually think there is something to this idea. So in the Old Testament, you have God's people who are suffering and lost through their own faults turning away from God. And there is this point in Isaiah where where God speaks and speaks of how he is just waiting for his people to cry out to them, cry out to him. And he says, when they do, you will see your teacher, and you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. You are lost, but I want to tell you, I I will send a teacher who will show you the way, the way that is good, the way that will bring joy, the way of my people, the way of the kingdom. And as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount over these last few weeks, I want you to understand that that Jesus is doing exactly this. He is the teacher that God has promised. And he is a teacher who is showing his people the way. So we we, we just heard the Beatitudes, which is kind of like this opening statement in the Sermon on the Mount. And how does it begin? And blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is saying, this is the way of my community. This is the way of the kingdom of heaven. Later on, he'll say, some people say, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. And he's talking primarily about the Pharisees. But I say to you, Love your enemies. And the implication is, because this is the way. 
Some people, when they give, will give so that other people can see and reward them. But I say to you, give in secret, because this is the way. This community that Jesus is building, this kingdom of heaven, is a group of people who have a code, a way. And though we have individual differences and preferences, ultimately they are subordinate to the way that our teacher has given us. And I want you to understand the kind of teacher that Jesus is when he is telling us the way. Have you ever had a teacher in school or college that you just knew cared? He cared about you, not just about hearing himself or herself speak or being in control, but but this teacher really liked you and really wanted you to grow. And, And this teacher oftentimes is someone who's so convinced that what they're teaching is important that they desperately want you to learn because they think it will be good for you. Have you ever had a teacher like that? That's the kind of teacher Jesus is. Jesus is not just saying this because he thinks it's you know, something he wants people to hear because it's valuable. He's doing more than that. Yes, all of that's true, but he loves. He loves his people, and he wants us to know the way because it is good. It's important to emphasize this as we consider this because it can seem, if we're not careful, that Jesus is calling us to a way that is miserable. I mean, didn't it feel a little bit like that last week? Blessed are those who mourn. You see later on Jesus saying, if someone strikes you, don't strike back, but turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. It seems seems like a hard calling, but I want you to understand that when Jesus is calling every single time, if we listen carefully, it is always because he says, this is good. This is what you want. That's why it starts with blessed are. Remember we said blessed are is a word that's talking about flourishing. The good life belongs to those who take this way. He says, those who mourn, that's the way of being comforted. Those who hunger and thirst, that's the way of being satisfied. When he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, that's not because he's like, I don't want you to have any fun on earth. That's not his point. Listen to what he says. Don't store up treasures on earth because it's a bad investment. Because treasures on earth are where people, where, where, you know, thieves break in and steal, where moth and rust destroy. I want you a better treasure. Find the treasures in heaven. When he says later on, don't give publicly so that other people will be all impressed with you, that's not because he doesn't want you to enjoy people's approval. He says if you give in private, that is for your father, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's the good way. The very end of this sermon, he makes this clear. He, he says, as you're listening to me, there are two responses you can have. Some of you might hear my words and just ignore them. And decide instead to let the wisdom of the world be your way. And when you do this, it will essentially be like you are building a house that looks strong and great, but it's on sand. And the moment something bad happens, it will be exposed for nothing. But if you listen to my word, if you hear the way that I am calling you to, then you will be building on a foundation that will last. A foundation that is good. This is the good way Jesus is saying. It is the way where we can flourish. And not only is this the good way that we want, but Jesus is teaching us because it's the beautiful way. It's the way the world needs. 
Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how, as Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has this idea of a king, a community, and a cause. Jesus is the king, and he is building a community. And this cause, this mission that the community has, is to bring salvation to the world by being beautiful. By being so transformed that as they are in righteousness, showing God, the world sees and wants to know and learns and is drawn into this community. That is the cause, and this is how Jesus is doing it. He's saying, let me show you the good way so that you can be a people who offer the world an alternative. It was interesting um, seeing the, 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 the pundits speaking after the debates, and and, you know, different people would have different opinions about who won, who lost, but it seems like everyone agreed that it was a train wreck. And, and the thing that I feel like I kept on hearing again and again was, there's got to be something better than this. And I want to say that's, that's what, what the community of heaven, that's what the way is meant to offer. Not, not a different candidate, I'm not saying Jesus for president, but an, an alternative to even how to be, an alternative that involves meekness and mercy and wisdom and righteousness, an alternative that the world can see and say, oh, there is a different way of being. And it's beautiful. Jesus is, is as our instructor, saying, This is the way. This is the way of goodness, where if you follow it, you will flourish. This is the way of beauty, that if you follow it, you will bring life to the world. This is the way that I long for you to walk in. Now, what what is the way that Jesus is is talking about here? That's, That's what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Two weeks ago, we began by focusing on how the the way of the kingdom of heaven, the way of Jesus, is a way of kingdom-shaped prayer. When we pray, like we just prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying both that we would be faithful in following the way and that others would join us. Last week we spoke of how this way of the kingdom of heaven is a way that involves humility, a poverty of spirit and meekness, a way that involves honesty as we look at the world where we are dissatisfied because we long for something more. That is the way. This morning, as we continue and kind of conclude looking at these Beatitudes, these opening statements for the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus showing us two more things about our way, the way of the people of the kingdom of heaven. And that is the way of the kingdom is a way of merciful peacemaking and the way of the kingdom is a way of devotion to the kingdom. Let's consider both of those in turn. So this way that Jesus calls us to is a way of merciful peacemaking. We, we hear in, in verse 6, oh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive peace. Mercy. The word mercy is a word that's closely connected to the idea of compassion. The word idea of mercy in the Bible is the idea of, of noticing someone else's suffering, someone else's need, and being moved to act with kindness towards that. That's what mercy is. And 
Throughout Matthew, we see people coming to Jesus on multiple occasions and saying, have mercy on me. And every time when Jesus hears this cry, he sees the need and he brings healing. That's mercy. Jesus later on will speak a parable about someone who's in an enormous debt to a rich man and the rich man recognizing this person's complete inability to pay back in kindness forgives that debt. That's mercy. And Jesus says, the way of my people is a way of mercy. Because that is the way of our God. Our God is a God who has looked down and seen our need and has been so moved by compassion, even though we don't deserve his help, that he stepped down among us in Christ to rescue us. That's mercy, and that's what it looks like to be his people as well. Throughout church history, when the church has most looked the way it's supposed to, it has been a people of mercy. So in the fourth century, there's this interesting letter. Emperor Julian, who was the last kind of pagan Roman empire, emperor, excuse me, was writing a letter to a pagan priest, and he clearly is frustrated because he's been trying to stop the growth of Christianity, and he can't. And he says, these Christians care not only for their own poor, but they care for ours as well. And he's like, what are we supposed to do about that? Because of mercy, the church grows. Because this is the way. And this way is also a way of peacemaking. Two verses later, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemaker is in some ways just the sequel to mercy. Mercy implies the idea of kindness. Peacemaking moves from kindness to commitment. That's, that's what peacemaking involves. We think of peace oftentimes just in terms of the absence of conflict. But as if you've been with us for a while, you, you probably heard before, the Bible's idea of peace is bigger than that. The, the Old Testament concept of shalom has the idea of, of harmony, of, of forging connections. So there's this writer, David Brooks, who in his most recent book, The Second Mountain, he, and he's men, one among many people speak about right now how in our society it feels like the fabric of society is being torn apart through division and isolation and, and all the different kinds of distance. He says you can even see in some ways there's almost like these two opposing forces where one is pulling and one is still trying to connect. And he's not saying two different groups of people, the good guys and the bad guys. He says those forces actually exist even within ourselves. He says most of us have bought into a radical individualism that causes us to see ourselves as self-sufficient, secluding ourselves from other secluded selves. Most of us buy into a workaholic ethos that leaves us with little time for community. Most of us hew to a code of privacy that leads us to not know our neighbors. We know what he's talking about. And then just add to that the fact that right now things have become so polarized that if we disagree with each other now, it's not just disagreement. If you disagree with me, you're my enemy, it feels like. And it feels like just connections between each other are being torn apart. 
And Brooks argues that what is needed is people to lean into that other side, people to make building relationships central to their lives. What he says is needed is people who are weavers, reconnecting, connecting to the community around us. And that idea of weaving relationships back to build the social fabric, that idea in the Bible is called peacemaking. That, that's, that is our way, the way to be peacemakers, to see where there are barriers from relationships being forged and to seek to overcome them. So when there is alienation because of hurt, to seek to overcome that barrier through both apology and forgiveness where there is disconnection because of people being different, to seek to overcome that through welcome and hospitality, where there is isolation because everyone is so busy to seek to reorganize your life so that you have time for others and trying to know your neighbors and your community. And in all of this, because we know that the very heart of all true peace is the connection with God, to seek to facilitate relationships between our neighbors and the God who created us. That is our way. It's our way because that's the way of our Heavenly Father. Notice when Jesus makes this promise, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. The good life belongs to the peacemakers. Why? For they will be called sons of God. In other words, he's saying when you start doing this, when you become a weaver, where you're seeking to build connections, people will say, I recognize the family resemblance. That person looks like God. Because that is who our God is. Our God is someone who saw the barrier between himself and us, and he moved towards us, and he became one of us, and he brought us back to himself. That is how God works. He is a peacemaker, and he is at work even now seeking to build relationships where there are barriers to relationships before. That is his way. And so Jesus says that is our way. This is the way to be a merciful peacemaker. That is our calling. And then secondly, the other thing that we see here is that Jesus is saying the way of the kingdom of heaven is a way of devotion to the kingdom. So it's, of all of the Beatitudes, there's one that I think has traditionally caught me up the most as feeling kind of almost, I guess you'd say impossible. When he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when I hear at least in the past, when I've heard this idea of pure in heart, oftentimes I feel this idea of kind of this perfection when it comes to faith and love. So no motivations of pride in the background, no doubts, just absolute allegiance. And I'm like, I, I'm definitely not there, and I don't think I will be anytime soon. But as I've studied even the last couple of weeks, I've realized that's not what the Bible speaks of when it's talking about purity in heart. So in 2 Timothy, Paul, when he's instructing Timothy, he says, you know, pursue righteousness along with those who call on God with purity of heart. He's saying there are people who right now are, are seeking the kingdom with purity of heart, and you should join them. 
First Peter says, Now that you have purified your souls through obedience to the truth, love one another with a pure heart. Both of those tell us that it's not talking about something that only sinless, perfect people can do. What, what this idea of purity of heart is talking about is Christian maturity. Specifically, it's talking about Christian devotion. It's, it's what Jesus is speaking of later on in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose one. And his point is that you can't hold on to two devotions. One will always win out. You have to choose one to be what you're devoted to. If, if someone wants to be an Olympian, they have to be devoted to that at the cost of other things. If they say, I want to be an Olympic swimmer, but I also want to eat enjoyably and be relaxed and have a great social life, then that is not the Olympian's decision. That is a hobby for them. Because the only way of becoming that is through devoting themselves to that above all else. And Jesus is saying, the way of the kingdom is a way of devotion. You cannot have a divided heart where you're trying to hold on to two things equally. So he says later on in Matthew, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You cannot hold family and the kingdom at the same level. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We cannot say, Jesus and my career. We cannot say, Jesus and comfort. What we are called to is a purity of heart, which means that we are called to a devotion where we love Jesus above all else and at times at the expense of all else. That is the way. And when we are, when we have that level of focus that we're called to, where we seek Christ above all else, it will have a cost at times. Jesus makes that explicit. He says, when you are seeking the kingdom, when you are seeking righteousness, when you are seeking me as you are called to, sometimes people will be uncomfortable, angry, and maybe even cruel. Did you notice that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? For theirs is the kingdom of the heaven. Now there's something important here that I want us to consider for a moment. When we understand the way that we are relating to the world around us. Because Jesus brings together two different things that seem like they're in tension with each other but aren't. So sometimes I think Christians understand that our calling is, is to be different from the world around us. And so by doing, and, and so to try to kind of, to be faithful in that regard, they focus on all the things that they're supposed to be opposed to in the world. All the things that they hate. And they focus on how, you know, we might hate, I don't know, Marxism or progressive forms of sexuality or or, or secularism, and as this emphasis and all the bad things that we're opposed to, what ends up happening is it ends up being this barrier, this distance that we're establishing between us and the world. And it almost feels like it's us against all of them. 
On the other hand, there are people who sense that there's an issue, a problem with this. And so instead, as they seek to move towards the world around it, they do by talking about how, how similar we are, trying to show how similar we are. Look, we, we watch the same TV shows. We, we spend our money the same way. We spend our time the same way. Look, we can be friends because we're no different from you. And Jesus says the way of the kingdom is neither of these. On one hand, the way of the kingdom is not to set a barrier between us and the world around us because the way of the kingdom is the way of the peacemaker. We are forging connections. We are welcoming. Rather than being us against the world, it is us for the world, moving towards our community in love. Yet on the other hand, the way we do this is not by trying to be the same as everyone. Jesus is clear that if you are faithful, if you are following the way, a way of devotion to me, you will at times be rejected. But, but the barrier, the difference is not because primarily of what we hate. It's because of what we love. Because we love Jesus, because we love his kingdom, because we love his righteousness, it will put us at times at odds with others. Do you see that connection? How, how does that work out? Let me try to tease this out with a few examples. The way of the kingdom means, say you are at work and there is a coworker that you have that has engaged in some pretty shady practices, some deceit, some rule-breaking that you know is going to hurt other people, maybe a fellow coworker or a client. And the way of the kingdom means you doing something that probably is hard and trying to stand up to this because you love what is good and what is right, while at the same time truly seeking to love this coworker and praying for them. Another example, the way of the kingdom means you are wanting to forge connections with your community. So, so maybe you are seeking to be involved at a really simple level. Maybe you're a, a baseball coach for a little league team and you really are trying to connect to the kids and their families because that's the way. And yet at the same time, you realize there are times that you will be confusing to them because, for example, on Sunday mornings, you won't be able to participate in any of the games because you have a higher allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. This is the way. Or it also means that as we are investing in our neighbors in relationships and getting to know them and investing in coworkers and actually caring about them, we, we not only draw ourselves towards them in love, but at the same time we are willing to risk them with the awkwardness that sometimes it feels by sharing with them the hope that we have in Jesus. This is the way, the way of both peacemaking but the way of devotion. Jesus calls us, he calls us to a good and beautiful way, a way of humility and meekness, a way of honesty and dissatisfaction with the brokenness of the world, a way of merciful peacemaking as we reach out and seek to weave, a, a way of devotion that sometimes will put us at odds with each other. This is the way that we will flourish in. This is the way that the world needs with beauty. And I wonder if even as you're thinking about this, this also seems like an impossible way. That's oftentimes the response people have with the Sermon on the Mount. It just seems so lofty. 
But I want to suggest that if that is our response, there's one more thing that you need to understand about the way our teacher teaches us. I want to fast forward just a couple of chapters to this moment in Matthew 12 where uh, a man with what's described as a shriveled hand is brought to Jesus. He, presumably it's paralyzed and gnarled. It's, it, it, you know, like he can't do anything with it. And Jesus looks and it says he has mercy on him. And he says to this man, stretch out your hand. Now just think about that for a moment. The one thing this man has never been able to do is that. Think of all the times he probably looked at his hand and tried to will his fingers to come apart. He tried to change things and he couldn't. And now Jesus is telling him to do what he already knows is impossible. And you can imagine just in that moment where Jesus is telling him to do this, that he might just dismiss Jesus and say, forget about it. I've already tried it. Why are you asking? But instead, in faith, he hears the words of Jesus And he tries to obey, and he discovers that the very words that commanded him are also the words that empowered him to do what he could not do and gave life. And I want to suggest that that is how Jesus teaches and commands. Right now, perhaps, as you think about this idea of of being a peacemaker that seeks to draw other people into your life and forge connections that seems overwhelming. Maybe you feel just tired and introverted. It just seems impossible. Or or, or maybe when you hear this call for devotion, you know how half-hearted you feel and it seems impossible. And I want to suggest that if that is how you're feeling, you are in the very same place as the man with the shriveled hand. You are saying, Jesus, I have a shriveled heart. I can't stretch out. And what Jesus is calling you to do is to stretch out your heart is to to get up and to walk in the way. And what, what Jesus does that no one else does is even as he commands, or those who in faith are willing to do what seems impossible and take the next step as they pray and wait, they will discover that in the very words of command that Jesus gives us are life and power and the ability to do what we could not do on our own. Jesus says to you and to me, here is the way that is good. Here is the way that is beautiful. Here is the way of my people. And I'm calling you, and I will enable you to walk in it. And I'd like to invite us, even now, as we hear God's word, to spend some time just allowing it to sit in our hearts. Let's take a couple of minutes to just prayerfully listen. And, and where it's appropriate, if there are ways that you feel like you've been reminded of ways that you have not been following the way, to, to confess that and acknowledge it before God and to seek his healing as he works in us. And then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple minutes' time. So would you please join with me in silent prayer?